Thank you all for joining episode four of the Energy Today podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So first, I want to apologize for not putting out an episode over the past few weeks. I got really busy with school and finals, and now that I'm done, I'm hoping to produce around two episodes per week. So over the past week, we have seen some exciting news come out of the energy space as well as the broad economy. As of the recording of this show, I just saw on CNBC um, that WTI crude index is just below $48 a barrel after a pretty choppy week uh, in the market and energy market. This new high since March represents a sign of demand sort of inching back towards pre-pandemic levels. We began November of 2020 at around $36 a barrel and have since seen some positive vaccine news come out really from all fronts. Vaccine news is definitely the easiest thing to point a finger at and say that this is the only reason that WTI prices are inching up. However, like most things in the energy market, it really just is not that simple. A number of reasons could be causing what we are seeing, but I want to point out just a few. First, taking a look at OPEC, and on previous episodes I touched on OPEC, but I'll just lay it out real quick. OPEC stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, and OPEC represents around 13 countries, including Saudi Arabia, and OPEC as a whole accounts for roughly 45% of world oil production, so quite a bit. Because of this fact, OPEC's policies have massive ramifications for the entire oil industry as well as the whole world. OPEC and its member countries usually try and sometimes fail in keeping production among participating countries at a certain level. They do this to try and keep prices at a certain point to where everybody can make money. Um, At a recent meeting, they initially had some difficulty in doing this and reaching a consensus among these countries on production cuts. They later ultimately settled on adding uh, 500,000 barrels per day to current production cuts. So they brought their total production cut for January to 7.2 million barrels per day day from 7.7 million barrels barrels per day. So in effect, they reduced their production cut by 500,000 barrels. Taking what I just told you into account, you could then say, well, Jackson, if they agreed to reduce the amount of production they have cut, then why would this be a bullish case case for WTI? And by a bullish case for WTI, I mean that why do I think that this decision by OPEC will increase the price of our benchmark for crude here in the U.S.? Well, when OPEC last agreed uh, on production cuts back in April, there was still so much unknown surrounding COVID-19. A vaccine was nowhere in sight, and we were not sure how long we would be in this new normal uh, situation with the virus. And OPEC now deciding to reduce the amount of their cuts shows a true attentiveness that we need from OPEC towards the oil market. And in effect says, hey, we are accommodating to this dynamic situation that we are in. And once the vaccine allows for a full return to normal, we will further reduce our cuts and a somewhat more free market supply and demand equation will be reinstated. At least that's the that's the goal. <laughs> and now looking at more recent vaccine news, I think the investors are being a little bit 
too optimistic at the speed and implementation of which a COVID vaccine can be deployed. And I'm very, very excited about a vaccine happening. I'm, I want things to return to normal and be able to go spend money and do things with my friends. However, looking at some estimates of how long it'll take for a global vaccination, some say anywhere from six to 18 months. So still quite a bit of time before we can start flying again and driving and buying more clothes or, or what have you. So taking this into account, I imagine that WTI will continue to hover around $44 to $50 a barrel that range for some time until the supply issues were resolved. On a previous episode, I touched at the run-up in supply at the, uh, at Cushing, at the Cushing crude inventories in Oklahoma, um, and also with OPEC beginning to try and tackle the supply side of reducing their production cuts. Um, this will be an, kind of interesting to play out going forward. Additionally, the oil market, like every other market in the world right now, is revolving around the coronavirus. And our country has been having some pretty off-putting news of very sharp increases in cases around the country and some form of new lockdowns sweeping other parts of the country while others have a somewhat um, that are somewhat staying open. So there is just much more uncertainty waiting to unfold going into 2021. Next, I want to take a look at an article that I found interesting on the Wall Street Journal. It's titled, Investors Turn to SPACs, S-P-A-C, for Clean Energy Bets. So the rise of SPACs this past year has been a very, very interesting development, particularly in the energy space. And they've been around for some time, but they really got the notoriety during this pandemic. So a SPAC stands for, quote, a special purpose acquisition company. And in effect, it is a company with no prior operations. That means that they don't they don't sell anything, they don't buy anything, um, and they're formed, and then they go public through an initial public offering to raise capital. So they issue stock basically to be on be traded on a public stock exchange. Exchange. These quote blank check companies, as they're often referred to, raise these funds to later acquire a private company, taking that company that they're acquiring public as they absorb it into them. And this process of, of a SPAC and completing the acquisition is usually, usually done within two years of the initial SPAC IPO. So there's been a considerable amount of SPACs going public with the purpose of acquiring the next big thing in cleaner energy. These SPACs this year have raised more than $5 billion and, in my eyes, reflects a hunger by capital markets for money to flow towards cleaner energy. This year, for example, more private equity firms have done more clean energy technology deals than strictly oil and gas deals, which I was very surprised whenever I, I found that on that article. These investments by these private equity firms or these SPACs are making these decisions going into an oftentimes revenue-less green, ener green energy company. Um, and by that nature, they're quite risky. One can draw a lot of similarities to a lesser extent to the internet stock craze of the late 90s, early 2000s, in which there was a lot of excitement going around this internet space, but only so many survived and, and many were also consolidated. So just kind of drawing some similarities there of like clean energy is the next big thing, exciting thing going on in the energy space from what I've read. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. 
And these new energy blank check companies, the SPACs, are more focused on transportation, battery storage, and electric vehicle charging. Some are also focused on companies that specifically aim to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So maybe they don't go into batteries, but some sort of technology that can take uh, CO2 out of the atmosphere. I imagine that this trend of private equity and SPACs and and investment in this space is here to stay. Um, And more and more dollars will continue to flow to the side of the energy space. It's a very interesting time that we live in as COVID crimped crude oil demand severely and investors smelling some blood in the water begin pouring money into the green energy space. I think that if you look at what these oil companies are worth, they're trading at far low than what their asset values are. Um, so I think that there's a lot of value to be to be seen in oil and gas companies, but the market has been severely punishing um, oil and gas companies as of late, unfortunately. So taking all this into account, I still foresee a world where both traditional oil and gas and clean energy survive. Again, crude oil makes modern life possible and is essential to everything that we do in life. So we need it and it's going to be here to stay. And there's plenty of runways to go around the world, whether that's LNG or China, India, any of those countries. Um, I think there's a lot of very exciting things left to do in the energy space. So these two articles that I referenced um, above were from oilprice.com and the Wall Street Journal, as well as some of my own thoughts. Thank you very much for tuning into episode four of the Energy Today podcast. I promise I'll get some more episodes out soon, and I hope you have a great week.